Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today, the author of Defending Faith, The Politics of the Christian Conservative... Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today, the author of Defending Faith, The Politics of the Christian Conservative Legal Movement, a book published this year by University Press of Kansas, is joining us. Uh, The author is Daniel Bennett. Dan, how are you doing today? Fine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Before we get to your book, uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, I'm an assistant professor of political science at John Brown University. We are uh, right on the Oklahoma border in northwest Arkansas. Uh, You can walk to Oklahoma from our campus. A really pretty part of the state. I've been here. This is my second year after teaching at a few different places. Um, And uh, this is uh, the first book uh, that I published and excited to talk about it. Great. Is this a book that's the product of your dissertation research? Yeah, uh, in a sense. Uh, when I sent it off to the press as a proposal, uh, it was much more uh, related to my dissertation. But, uh, of course, in the in the process, it, it, it turned out a bit, uh, well, quite a bit different from what the dissertation looked like. Yeah, these things change over time, and the result has been a really interesting Take on a on a uh, sort of a legal movement that um, I think many people have probably heard of, but certainly don't know the details of, um, that they would learn in this book. And so the book is all about Christian conservative legal movement. And before we uh, get into the meat of your analysis, I wonder if we could start. Um, and and I like to ask you a question, which is, um, I wonder if you could talk about who Jay Seculo is, and how he features in the book because he's a kind of an important figure and and is an increasingly important figure in national politics. So tell us about this person. Well, your listeners may be familiar with him recently, uh, given his uh, ascension to the the Trump administration's, uh, or the campaign's rather, legal team. Uh, They've assembled a team of lawyers to uh, combat and and, uh, essentially play defense for the president on the uh, allegations of Russian collusion, etc. So when uh, Jay Sekulow joined, uh, it really kind of raised his profile to a national level. There's been some uh, detailed pieces about Seculo in the national media. Um, but for those of us following the Christian legal movement and the Christian right in America uh, in general, Seculo is, is, not a, is a, he's not an unknown quantity. Uh, he's been around for decades now. He really rose to prominence in the 80s. Uh, he, uh, one of his first big cases before the U.S. Supreme Court was the uh, Board of Air Co- Airport Commissioners of Los Angeles versus Jews for Jesus, in which he successfully made a free speech argument uh, for the Jews for Jesus distributing their literature at, the, uh, at one of the airports in L.A. And uh, since that time, he's kind of uh, used that success to... Uh, I guess, rocket into other areas. Uh, in, the, in 1990, with support from Pat Robertson, Seculo founded the American Center for Law and Justice, which is where he still is today. There's been a lot written about Seculo uh, as a litigator. He's fairly controversial even within the Christian legal movement. Attorneys that I've spoken to for the book and elsewhere have 
uh, marveled at his success, but have also been critical about the way he carries himself, about his financial arrangements, etc. Um, so if there was uh, a Donald Trump of the Christian legal movement, it very well might be Jay Sekulow. Yeah, and, and what is the um, organization that he has, uh, maybe until recently, been the head of? What's, what's the actual organization? So he's still head of the ACLJ. It's the American Center for Law and Justice. They're a uh, Christian conservative legal organization headquartered out of Washington, D.C. They have uh, connections still to Regent University's School of Law in Virginia. That's Pat Robertson's university down there. And, uh, you know, for, for a long time, they were active on issues that are traditionally associated with the Christian legal movement, religious liberty, sanctity of life, and to a lesser extent for them at least, uh, traditional marriage and the family. Lately, the ACLJ has positioned itself as sort of the most partisan or the most political of these organizations, uh, relentlessly attacking the Obama administration at effect- essentially every turn. Um, you know, whether it's the Benghazi situation, the Fast and Furious uh, scandal, the, uh, the IRS uh, targeting, so, you know, so-called targeting uh, conservative organizations. Uh, the, uh, the ACLJ was really the pit bull in the Christian legal movement for going after the Obama administration. And on the flip side of that, they've been uh, stalwart defenders of the Trump administration and going back, you know, even before the Obama administration, they were very much supportive of the Bush administration. So they're the most political of these organizations. Now, more broadly speaking, you focus on Christian conservative legal organizations, CCLOs. Now, are these primarily Christian groups or are they primarily conservative groups? Are they really a combination of both? Yeah, I think fundamentally they're going to see themselves as Christian organizations. A lot of these groups, and, and speaking with their attorneys and even just looking at their websites, they talk about their work as being a, a, a what they call a legal ministry. So there's the religious language coming in there. Now, it's not a surprise, perhaps, given their uh, given their foundations and, and funding and support, early support that a lot of these groups are, or actually all of these groups are conservative, at least politically and legally. But first and foremost, they are, they are Christian organizations. And in thinking of them as organizations, throughout the book, you, you refer to them as a, as a type of interest group. Mm-hmm. Um, and in thinking about them in these ways, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what they're primarily interested in. You, you analyze uh, press releases as an indicator of interests over a number of years. Um, so what do they care about and, and what have their priorities been over the last several decades? Well, the three big issues that are important to virtually every CCLO are religious liberty, traditional marriage in the family, and the sanctity of life. Now, with religious liberty, we're talking about uh, a robust understanding of the free exercise clause, as well as a a very uh, narrow reading of the Establishment Clause. So permitting, say, Ten Commandments monuments on uh, public grounds. Most CCLOs would say, oh, that's totally fine. That's not what the founders were concerned about when when warning against establishing religion. Um, So again, religion in the public square in general. Uh, As far as traditional family values and and marriage, uh, traditional marriage in the family, these uh, folks are going to be opposed to same-sex marriage. Uh, They're they're essentially going to be opposed to... uh, I guess, uh, granting civil rights to LGBT Americans, 
Um, not necessarily because they don't like LGBT people, at least they would say. They would say they're against it because of the potential to discriminate against religious individuals as a result. And they would argue we're seeing that now with the bakers, the florists, the photographers who are facing uh, anti-discrimination or discrimination charges, rather, for refusing to serve same-sex weddings. And then as far as the sanctity of life is concerned, obviously opposition to abortion is going to make up a pretty big part of what they do. Um, but it's not just abortion, it's opposition to euthanasia, um, physicians being asked to uh, participate in abortion, or pharmacists being asked to distribute uh, contraception that they find objectionable. Uh, it's a fairly broad term. But those are the three big issues that these organizations tend to focus on. And how are they funded? Are, are they, uh, do they have clients that, that pay them as, as a typical law firm uh, you might imagine, or, or is there fundraising? Are they, do they have patrons? Yeah. Um, how, do they, how do they fund what they do? Yeah, so like a lot of legal interest groups, CCLOs do not charge their clients. They offer free legal services to their clients in order to advance an interest. And so they get their funding from other donors. Now, uh, some organizations are more overt about their fundraising. The ACLJ sends out fundraising emails virtually every day tying uh, their work on amicus briefs or ongoing cases to the need for increased funding. Um, but all of these organizations have uh, big-ticket uh, donors. Uh, I was just reading a piece the other day, actually, in, in preparing uh, something else uh, on this issue. And uh, one of the things the uh, ADF does very well is court its big-ticket donors. We're talking six- and seven-figure donors to these organizations. And their budgets really reflect, a, a, for the most part, success in doing this. ADF has a eight-figure uh, revenue every single year for the past uh, t at least 10 years now. Um, that's somewhat unusual, but uh, every one of these organizations is looking at upwards of a million dollars at least in annual revenue. Now, you noted earlier that religious liberty plays a prominent role in what these organizations care about. Religious liberty also played a major part in the recent Supreme Court decision of Burwell versus Hobby Lobby. Uh, would you talk a little bit about this case and how the uh, CCLOs played a role? Yeah, so they were uh, very much involved in the Hobby Lobby case. They saw this as kind of a, 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 a new frontier in challenging what they saw was bad religious liberty precedent over the past 20 or so years, uh, stemming from the Employment Division v. Smith case in 1990. Um, but these groups uh, organized amicus briefs. ADF was involved in some of the related cases to Hobby Lobby uh, v. Burwell. Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty took over that case, but um, ADF was involved, Alliance Defending Freedom, I should say, was involved in a case uh, litigation-wise, but most of these CCLOs were involved in filing amicus briefs, a lot of uh, consciousness raising, public education, etc., and they were very happy with the outcome of, of the Hobby Lobby case. And this isn't the only prominent Supreme Court case for Christian conservative legal organizations. Marriage equality issues have also featured prominently. How have they played a part in this issue? And is it essentially the same as the religious liberty, their tactics and strategies, and does the array of uh, organizations that get involved uh, set up in the, essentially the same way, or is it somewhat different? I, yeah, I think the marriage issue is particularly interesting. Uh, if you go back to 2008 uh, with Prop 8 in California, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom really took the lead on that litigation. 
uh, much to the chagrin, I should say, of Liberty Council, another one, another one of these organizations, who was effectively shut out by ADF. Uh, it's a fascinating uh, story of, of group dynamics, etc. Um, but of course, ADF was not successful in the Perry versus Hollingsworth or Hollingsworth v. Perry decision. Um, they lost that case, um, and a lot of their strategy since then has shifted away in the courts, uh, shifted more towards this religious liberty argument. In, in Perry v. Hollingsworth and Win U.S. v. Windsor and, and the eventually the Obergefell v. Hodges case, a lot of these groups were making arguments like, well, marriage is crucial for the well-being of children. This isn't something we, su we should just uh, change uh, you know, in the spur of the moment. Um, but since that decision, these attorneys have said, okay, let's move on to the religious liberty arguments now and say, well, with marriage being effectively decided, as an issue, how can we still advance our interests, but potentially in another way? Now, I wonder if we could take a, a step back. Uh, your book is, is very specifically about a certain set of organizations, but they, sit, they fit into a larger uh, Christian, Christian conservative movement. How do they sit in it? Uh, are they at the center of the larger Christian conservative movement, or are they uh, uh, just a, a, a niche element of it? Um, Place them into that, that somewhat larger context. I think if we go back to the 80s with the Moral Majority, Christian Coalition, etc., a lot of these organizations would have been seen as more of a niche. Um, they had initial support from Pat Robertson, a lot of these, uh, uh, I guess, big-time evangelicals of the day. But they saw th these evangelicals of the day saw these groups as almost a a separate strategy. Say, okay, well, we're going to continue to support candidates and encourage grassroots mobilization for elections and, and lobbying that way, but we're also going to set up these legal organizations to try to uh, be a counterweight to the, to the liberal advancements of the ACLU, for example. Over the past few dec or over the past couple of decades, I think what we've seen is as the moral majority has somewhat collapsed, at least politically, in the Christian coalition to some extent as well. Um, and as political and social changes have taken place in the U.S., it feels like these legal organizations have started to move more front and center for Christian conservatives, um, playing the role of you know more of an aggrieved minority than they actually are. You know, a lot of these, a lot of Christian conservatives do believe they're under attack from secular institutions and those hostile to those uh, views. And uh, you know, for those familiar with the legal mobilization and, and uh, legal advocacy literature. Uh, this is where they thrive, you know, in this in this position of minority interests, where they can go to the courts and make these claims on behalf of folks who don't have the ear of, say, Congress or the president. Now, how about the Trump administration? You, you mentioned it at, at the start of our conversation, uh, the role that Jay Sekulow has played, uh, but not a part of the administration, but a part of a legal team. Um, have uh, these Christian conservative legal organizations um, played a part? Uh, have they gotten positions within the Department of Justice and other parts of government? Are they uh, viewing the Trump administration as a success? Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, the, Jay Sekulow is, as far as I know, the only major CCLO actor to get a role directly in the Trump administration, or at least with the campaign's legal side. Um, but that doesn't mean they're uh, you know the outcome of the Trump administration is going to be uh, is going to be any any worse for these organizations. They definitely feel more represented in the Trump administration just following some of these folks on social media and hearing them speak in public. 
Um, you know, they were obviously thrilled with the Gorsuch nomination. They saw that as kind of a watershed moment. A lot of these folks rationalized their support for Trump because of the Supreme Court and the vacancy that was there. Uh, so they were thrilled with that selection. They've been also thrilled with his other judicial picks so far. Um, and of course, some of their own are in those positions, right? Betsy DeVos is, you know, education secretary. Her family foundation has given lots of money to Alliance Defending Freedom and other folks in this movement. Uh, Charmaine Yost is a real uh, player in the pro-life movement, and she now has a key position in health and human services. So while these actors aren't necessarily serving in positions themselves, a lot of their allies and people they support are getting fairly prominent positions. And then, of course, the, the, the administration has reached out to these groups uh, in some way directly. We saw Jeff Sessions this summer speak at a meeting of Alliance Defending Freedom behind closed doors that generated a lot of controversy given the prominence of Alliance Defending Freedom and the, uh, the criticism from AD, or of ADF from folks outside this movement to see the Attorney General speaking to this organization directly. Now, you write in your conclusion that the CCLOs are looking to the future, uh, looking to the future, toward a culture of collaboration and cooperate and uh, cooperation. Mm. Uh, what do you mean by this? Um, collaborate and cooperate with whom and on which issues? Yeah, so primarily with each other. Uh, you know, as legal interest groups, uh, even though they're Christian, they're still going to suffer from a lot of the same tensions and uh, and battles that interest groups in general suffer from, you know, competition over resources, lack of, uh, you know, a limits, limited supply of cases, etc. And for quite a long time, these organizations did uh, have a lot of turf wars over who's going to get what case, who's going to get the big client. I talked to one attorney uh, who told me, you know, we all want the juicy case or the test case, you know. Uh, but especially, it feels like the Obama administration was almost a... Uh, to, to, I guess, use a pun in this conversation, a come-to-Jesus moment for these organizations uh, who saw, you know what, we're in a real tough spot here. We need to work together more. We need to coordinate on who's filing what briefs and what cases. I was surprised in the, over the course of my interviews, some attorneys told me that uh, they, there's a, a listserv uh, for a lot of these organizations to have conversations uh, in real time with each other. But it seems like the big issues moving forward are going, to are going to center on this idea of religious liberty as it pertains to anti-discrimination and LGBT rights. That seems to be the big issue moving forward. Um, the, uh, in the, in, under the Obama administration, it was, it was about the uh, Health and Human Services contraception mandate. There was a lot of coordination and collaboration from these organizations in combating that particular regulation. Under the Trump administration, those regulations are probably going to relax at least a little bit. So moving forward, it seems to be focused on religious liberty, uh, li uh, religious liberty intersecting with this idea of uh, anti-discrimination against LGBT folks. Uh, the book is Defending Faith, the Politics of Christian Conservative Legal Movement. Uh, we've been talking to Daniel Bennett about it. Now, what's up next for you? The, bo the book is out, and you um, uh, talked a little bit at the start about uh, how this fit into the other stuff that you work on. Uh, is there a new book project? What's your, what's your next project? Uh, a bit of research that you're working on. Well, I have been working a bit on a, a paper contrasting the religious liberty advocacy of two of these organizations, Thomas More Law Center and Alliance Defending Freedom, with another religious liberty advocacy group. That's the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. They're not a CCLO. Um, they are very active on religious liberty issues, though. And so I'm curious to see how those CCLOs' approaches to religious liberty varies from the Beckett Funds. 
Um, I'm also working on a project uh, right now uh, with uh, with a former uh, with a former colleague of mine on uh, Americans' rights attitudes. It kind of takes a departure uh, from this research and moving on more toward you know how do Americans perceive rights? Are they conditioned by any factors or uh, considerations, etc. Right. Well, the the current book is Defending Faith: The Politics of the Christian Conservative Legal Movement, published by University Press of Kansas. Uh, by Daniel Bennett. Dan, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me.